Welcome to Two Guys in a Bible. This is a weekly conversation on theology, culture, and God's most holy word. My name is Dylan Kennison. I'm here with my co-host, Eric Leupold. How are you doing this morning, brother? I'm doing well. Good Excellent. To, good to be here. Excellent. Yeah, it is doing... good to be here. Yeah. It was like a cloudy day today, and then it's, the sun just came right out, right as we were starting the podcast. We'll like, get some nice weather, I think, this We week. can definitely use all the help we can get with the Lord smiling on... Uh, <laughs> tired of the rain. Um, yeah, tired of the rain, exactly. But uh, we can use all the help we can get with, with today's episode and uh, some, of the, some of the coming up episodes dealing with some pretty hefty topics here today, not least of which is sphere sovereignty. Mm, sphere. Yeah. Sphere. Is that like basketball? Like sovereign? basketball. Like, it's like being sovereign over basketball. Yes. Geom- we love us some geometry. Yeah. So did a chap named Kuiper. We'll get to that. But uh, <laughs> yes, spherical sovereignty. No, I'm just kidding. So sphere sovereignty, though. So this is what we're talking about today. And it, it this is one of those topics that um, I mean, the way, I mean, big picture, I think there's probably broad um, consensus in the Reformed heritage on this notion of there being different spheres over which there's, there was, we'll, we'll talk about what some of that means. Um, but then at some of the levels of particulars, there might be some, some differences. Um, but before we get to all that, sphere sovereignty, what is that even, uh, what are we talking about when we're talking about sphere sovereignty? What's some of the context mm-hmm. around that? that language there. Yeah, so uh, you referenced a man by the name of Abraham Kuyper, who a lot of people might not know who that is. Mm. I mean, I'm not super familiar with him. I haven't read any of his works yet, although I'd like to. But uh, Christian man, uh, wasn't he also the prime minister of the Netherlands at some point? Yeah. Uh, back in the, what, 1700s, 1800s? Uh, 1800s. 1800s, yeah. right? Late, so, mid, eight, mid, late 1800s. So he essentially... Um, I think one, there might be a, fa- a famous quote of his where there's not one square inch of mm-hmm. the universe where Jesus does not declare mine. Yep. It, would that be, a, is that a fair yeah. quote of his? So the idea of spheres is that all human life uh, can be divided up into spheres. And I guess other terms that I have heard before is, I mean, when, you know, at work, you know, stay in your lane mm. at work. You don't want to get involved in other people's you know, job, let them do their job, you do your job, stay in your lane, or that's not my wheelhouse. So there's a lot of phrases that we use that communicate the same idea, but it basically seems like there are certain areas of human life that you can divide up into categories, if you will, right? Like family, work, church, government, school, all that stuff. Each of those things is a "Quote unquote sphere," is that how you would understand it? Perhaps? Yeah, I like that analogy. Like when I, I so I worked for a for a startup company for a little while. Yeah, and working for a startup company, it's it's everything so bootstrapped that it's just like you know you need a director of getting stuff done. You don't necessarily have like an official job title, right? So like when I first come in, I like I got no background in in this department or that department, but you're you're doing a little bit of everything, right? Well, as you scale, as you grow, you know, just in in the context of this of this you know private company. Um, what happens is people do become a little bit more specialized and, you know, you do have somebody who's just kind of responsible for, you know, I don't know, compliance. You have somebody who's just responsible for product or somebody who's just responsible for, you know, in all these different departments and then they have kind of underlings underneath them. But what happens is you become more specialized, right? And um, I think so my understanding here is, you know, very, very just like what you were saying. So so Kuiper, so he gives these lectures called the Stone Lectures, Princeton mm-hmm. Seminary, 1898. 
and he gives this lecture on Calvinism and politics. So, and this is you know kind of where um, you know a lot of people who reference Kuiper reference his Stone lectures. So basically, the idea being that these these spheres are not uh, sovereign over one another, but that and you know Kuiper coming out of Re a Reformed heritage saying that God is sovereign over all. So. You know, it's not ecclesiasm where you don't have this, the church ruling over the state. It's not statism where the state is ruling over the church, um, which, you know, in in early, you know, uh, in, in like the medieval times medieval and stuff period. like that. Medieval Roman period, Catholicism. Yeah, exactly. You had the church was kind of ruling over the state, or mm -hmm. at least um, there was some tension there in some of those relationships. Yeah. So here comes Kuiper trying to tease some of that <clears throat> out with a little bit of a different framework with, mm -hmm. with sphere sovereignty. So you would say then that... There's an umbrella, and and that umbrella is Jesus, God, over all things. But then underneath that, there are different categories or spheres. So, for instance, as a as a father, I am responsible for certain things in my household, certain certain things involving my children, uh, family, things that are dealt with at the family level, mm -hmm. and. That's so it's not my job to get in to do your family stuff, and yeah. it's not your job to do my family stuff, and it's not the church's job to do certain family things. Also, there are some things that fall to the responsibility of mothers, fathers over their children. Um, but Jesus is Lord over all yes. of that, so yeah. He determines what family is supposed to be doing. He sets the boundaries in a way for all of the different categories. Yeah. So they don't get into each other's lane. So they don't crisscross lanes and cause problems. Right. Essentially. So he not only tells you how to manage your particular um, area of life, like like work. You know, we're to work as unto the Lord. And so when I go to work, I am supposed to do that in a certain way. But that's a specific, you know, area. Uh, of of life, but Jesus is Lord over that. So He not only sets the boundaries, He also tells you how to operate in that boundary. Is that? Yeah, help? yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. So when we when we think about kind of like uh, how or or why or on the basis of what you know things, some of these lines get drawn. So one one thing that's been helpful to me is just like okay, these are different spheres have different uh, they have different duties, mm. responsibilities. They have different competencies. And they kind of they tend to have their own kind of authority structures within them. So duties, competencies, and authorities. So you have the state, right? So the state should not seek totalitarian control. It has its own set of duties, its own competencies. It has its own structure of authority. So you know some might say like, okay, the state is on top, and the state has laws for marriage and laws for family and laws for School. education exactly yeah. so and and that's like more or less how most americans would think today or at least it's like most secular americans will, would reason like that um you know so th there's the state on top now but some christians might also flip that wrongly say okay well we have the church ruling over the state so kuiper would also say the church should not seek totalitarian control insofar as the church has distinct duties and mm -hmm. competencies and authorities um, so Kuiper would say, if you put the, the church over everything, so that'd be a mistake because of these differences of responsibility that are, you know, allotted in scripture. Um, so there's a secular notion of separation of church and state, 
for all of its flaws. There's also a Christian notion of separation in church and state that Kuiper would say is necessary because of these differences in commandment and function and governance. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might say, you know, maybe the state's role is to punish the evildoer, right? Uh, and that's true. But then biblically, it may not be true in every respect. So an example being, can the state punish gluttony? And mm. the answer would be no. Why not? Right. So, so God gives the state the sword to wield the, you know, punish the sins of the hand, while the local church's domain is to govern the heart. So, gluttony, we might say gluttony is evil, and the local church can exercise discipline for gluttony, but the state cannot punish for gluttony. Or at least, if it tried to do so, it would be reaching beyond the bounds of governance and competency that God had set for it. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I mean, is well, that... yeah, no, it makes sense. So, essentially, you would say like the church shouldn't be executing people. For crimes. Yeah, I would say that. Like, the church does not have the authority yeah, to correct. kill people correct. for crimes and to be a vigilante, you know, going around like, well, there's no justice, so we're going to execute justice here, and the church elders will make the, you know, give the death sentence. Yeah. That's clearly a problem. But you would say maybe similarly that, uh, and we can get more into this uh, later on regarding specific spheres, but the government's job is not to punish people blasphemy right. or heresy in a way mm-hmm. right so like the church's job is to you know have, on this kind of kyperian view yeah, yeah proper doctrine right. yes the church handles that like if, it, if there's a false teacher mm-hmm. the church will deal with the false teacher in the church's way but it's not like the church complains to the government and the government puts someone on trial for false teaching right and and executes that person for false. I mean, they're not supposed to do that, it right. seems like. And that does not mean that the state gets, we just, you know, let's let's have pluralism run amok and everybody gets to do what's right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, right? The state has, just like all of these different spheres, I think Kuiper would still want to say, um, the church has Christ as Lord. The state has Christ as Lord. The family has Christ as, you know what I mean? So all these different yeah. spheres still Jesus have the did. same Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, but nevertheless, have differences in duties, uh, competencies, and structures of authority. That makes sense. But so, although we've mentioned uh, certainly Kuiper, what are some scriptural passages that seem to, you know, seem to warrant this? I, 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 while you're flipping through a couple, I have a, I have a one here. That I mean, it's yeah. a simple analogy. It's the analogy of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in Ephesians chapter four. And there's also a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians 12, which Paul talks about um, having unity in the body of Christ. And uh, I'll just read here, um, essentially, that uh, he, you know, verse, so Ephesians 4, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of of the Son of God. So he goes on from there and talking about, and then in verse 16 he says, when the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so he later on in the rest of of the chapter of Ephesians 4 talks about how, you know, what that looks like now. Uh, with regards to behaving towards each other, like be angry, do not sin, uh, put away falsehood, speak the truth uh, with his neighbor, neighbor, for we are members one of another. You know, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't have corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up. So 
Paul gives a long list of behaviors, but it's all in the context of you are a body, mm-hmm. and every body has a role and a part to play, and it works together for a common a common goal, common mission. And this analogy of, of a church being a body with many parts, I think is a fair analogy, really, of any organization. You could just think of like a sports team. I mean, a football team is one body with many parts in a in a different way. Everyone has their part to play. Quarterback, running back, uh, defensive lineman, offensive lineman. And when one part's not functioning right, the whole thing just falls to pieces. Um, but what's the ov- overall, though, they still have one head coach, one owner, mm-hmm. one team name, right? Yeah. So... And they each have a part to play, and they're to do that in submission to what the overall plan of the of the head coach. He is the head of that organization, and and you know each part accomplishes the goal of victory. Yeah, there you go. So I think that's a that's an example of this concept of 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 a body with many parts, and yeah. each part has a part to play. Yeah, it's to- it's a really good framework, and and totally analogous to to I think what we're. Uh, what Kuiper would be trying to get across with sphere mm-hmm. sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. Yeah. Now, are there any other passages that you that come to your mind in kind of fleshing out this uh, concept of sphere sovereignty? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there are different passages in Scripture that see, that indicate that there are different um, where where the Lord prescribes certain spheres to have. Uh, certain responsibilities, mm-hmm. right? And and where those same responsibilities are not elsewhere in Scripture assigned to other spheres, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we can take a look, for example, First um, Timothy five eight, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's a really good one. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, mm-hmm. uh, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So here we have, and the impetus really being on someone who, um, kind of in, in the family, right? Mm-hmm. Or or you might say in in a broader context in in the in the broader community. Um, now when we extrapolate that, we're talk we're not talking about the state, right? We're talking about within within the, within family. the family. Yep, exactly. And then he's going to go on to say, you know, there's certain stipulations where in the in the local church as well, there are certain ways that um, that you know those in need can be provided for, and there's there's mm. means of accommodation uh, put out for them. Um, another example might be, you know, with respect to education, right? Deuteronomy six. Um, these are the words that I shall uh, that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. Um, so here, clearly, like at, at a minimum, right? It's it's on the the religious. There is a there is an um, a a responsibility of religious education being placed on parents here at a minimum, mm-hmm. right? I think we can say more than that, but I think at a minimum, that's what we can derive from a passage like Deuteronomy six. And you might say, okay, what are what are some other things that that the state in Scripture is not uh, permitted to, or is not granted to do by God, mm. um, or what are things that it is granted to do by God, or, or businesses, right? Yeah. The 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 domain of enterprise, um, you know, the Eighth Commandment, not stealing. It yeah. assumes that there's this notion of of, of private property um, and and private enterprise that can take place and, with with that property. And bear, uh, tr- uh, um, just weights and measures. Yes. So, yes. like, if I tell you that I'm selling you five pounds of, of flour, I'm not tricking you or, or gaming the scales. Yes. So that it's really four pounds, but you are paying for five. Yep. It's a form of stealing. 
but it's uh, it's it's more of a subtle uh, trick trickery form of stealing, if exactly. you will. And that and God says, don't. That's an abomination. Yeah, yeah. So I think when when we think about how these different spheres get instituted, right? Mm-hmm. We can see that they are they're instituted. So the family, right? Mm-hmm. Family is not in conceived in a traditional sense. Um, the family is not instituted by the state. Yeah. It's not instituted by the church. It's not instituted by society. It's instituted from God's own creation and established through marriage and the rearing of children. Yeah. So, so as a result, God's word rightly governs families. So, and, and I think that same mm-hmm. kind of point can be made analogously through a number of these other spheres as well. So, like business, businesses have their own derivative structures of authority. Yes, families aren't run like businesses. So some that's, businesses, that's some businesses try to run like families, but they're not families in in the biblical sense. Yeah, they can't right? take care of all the needs. Yes, uh, in a way. And one thing that strikes me is that as I was reading through an- another passage, that if you want to go to, it's First Timothy uh, chapter five. Now this passage is about widows in the yeah. church, and I think this is a good passage because I think it shows how sometimes these spheres can either overlap mm-hmm. or. If one sphere can't handle it, another sphere can pick it up. Right. So let me give, let me read this here. I'll start First uh, Timothy five, verses nine to let's see sixteen. Here's what it says: Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than sixty years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. So I'll pause there. So Paul is listing here to Timothy, if, if someone is to be put on the list of widows for the church, uh, these are the qualifications that this person has to meet to get onto the list. Now, why is that? Well, there's an, there's an enrollment here. Here's what he says in verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And so incur condemnation, having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So the idea here is that, you know, there's a, there's a general concept of widow, so a, a woman who's, whose husband has died. Yeah. Okay. But then there's also the church's category of widows, which is those specific uh, qualifications and, and age restriction as well. And there's that one category of widows that the church is to take care of. But, uh, like he says, if a believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. So it's supposed to be to the family. You know, okay, you are a Christian. You have widows in your family. Take care of those widows. And then let the church not be burdened with that. Right. So that it may care for those who are truly widows. Essentially, people who have no support structure Mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form. So when the family isn't there... The church can kind of pick it up right. a little bit. The church isn't stealing from the family or getting involved in the family's business. The family is actually not there. Mm-hmm. It's gone because of we live in a sinful world where people die 
for a whole bunch of reasons, and and there are widows and orphans who have no one to care for them. Yeah, you know, and that's where it, that's where the church steps in. <clears throat> right. Does that seem like that kind of an overlap or passing off the baton, perhaps? Yeah, it does. Way? And and so let me just so I, I don't know if I'm a, I don't I don't want to step on eggshells a few no, a few no. eggshells when I say this. So okay. I want to tread lightly here, but um, when we think of um, those who are in in the Amer- those Christians in the American Church, who in the Reformed heritage, who lean uh, politically to the right and say that um, you know it is not the role you know God does not give the role of the state to is not the role of the state to have um, some of the the welfare programs and stuff like that and yeah. you know kind of the the social justice or the social care. Peace, social security, social charity, exactly. Um, you know, levying taxes for these purposes is not authorized in Scripture by God, right? So, when we see uh, that charge being levied by those Christians on the right, um, as as deeply uh, empathetic as I am with 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 some of mm-hmm. those views, um, it can be said we don't we don't want to lose sight of of the fact that like, you know, um, if the now, there, there's a lot of research that has been done to suggest that Christians in America are, in, interestingly enough, still some of the most generous globally, proportionally for how they give and how they tithe. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, if we are to, um, there, there's a sense in which Christian charity and Christ, Christian hospitality, when the church is is doing what we ought to be doing in in servicing. The, by church, I mean Christians. When we are doing what we ought to be doing to service those in society who are the downtrodden, the poor, yeah. the widows of society, um, you know, how how incredible would it be to not, you know, to to look at some of the some of what the state tries to offer and say, well, actually, it's not needed because the church has this covered, right? So, mm-hmm. in my mind, like, what an impetus this is for Christian charity and mm-hmm. for for hospitality. And, you know, I mean, Kuiper, there's this quote, I forget where, but Kuiper comes along and he says, very plainly, the government cannot take the place of Christian charity. He says, a loving embrace isn't given with food stamps. The care of a community isn't provided with government housing. The face of our creator can't be seen on a welfare voucher. What the poor need is not another government program. What they need is for Christians like me to honor our savior. So regardless of whether you agree with that statement or not, Mm -hmm. I, I think the last line is clutch, right? What they really need, like what we really need as a society and, and how Christians interact with that society is for us to honor our Savior by, you know, when we talk about some of these things that the church could be doing mm-hmm. and, you know, when the family structure is not there as a support, then the church can step in. By golly, let's do it, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that that to me is like mm-hmm. what, what a call for us to be uh, f- to out, for outreach and charity and hospitality yeah. in our communities. So it seems like you would say then that it's not it's it's easy for us to just point the finger and say government you shouldn't be doing that. You know, that's bad. Stop it. God hasn't authorized it. God hasn't authorized it right. and we could just like levy that charge against the government, but then we're not actually taking responsibility for what we are supposed to be doing. As, I think there's a lot who are. There's no, lot, no, no, certainly. Yeah, but, but we first need to make sure. Yes. Are we taking responsibility yes. before I tell someone else, "Hey, keep mind your own business." Right. It's almost. It's, it's kind of like that. Like if you know, even at even at work, perhaps even like a, a a boss or even on a team. You know, you let's say you go to someone and you say, "You mind your own business." 
And that person, you know, maybe they'll say to you, well, well, if you did your job, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have to step in. Right. Like, I mean, we don't, no one likes bosses who micromanage. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's really annoying when you're trying to get work done and, and the boss is like telling you and like you keep going to him and he, he's just nitpicking every single little thing. He's not giving you good direction and he's almost like doing it himself. And you get really discouraged mm -hmm. because you're like, wow, all this work I'm doing is meaningless because he's just going to do it himself anyways. And he just keeps breathing on my neck and I can't get anything done. And it's really not productive. But that kind of micromanaging, got to be careful. There are some people who are prone to doing that. It's a sense of control, right? Yeah. Like I want to control every single little nitnoid detail and I will become a micromanager. But it can also be a temptation when if I as a worker am slacking and fail to do my job, at some point, someone above me might have to step in right. and say, okay, this is not getting done. I need to intervene yeah. now. What's going on? So we got to be careful. Like, is it true that sometimes like for the example of the government they want to control things and they they want that to themselves sure but is it also true that at times uh we we don't do our job mm. we don't take responsibility and then the government's like well uh you know the people are crying out for this i'm going to step in and do it yeah and we need to make we need to be careful then when we do point the finger yeah well i think and i think this is some of what i mean this is related to like kuiper's vision for Sphere sovereignty, and there's another chap named Doyavird who I think I think came after Kuiper, mm. uh, but basically kind of taking this and and we're going to talk about the role of the state in a separate episode. Yeah. But, but when he's talking about that, you know, basically what he's saying is like um, the, the social justice and and welfare functionality can be a legitimate function of the state. You know, Doyavird might be, and he's riffing off of of, of Kuiper. Mm -hmm. um, and and whereas someone like uh, um, what's his name Henry mm -hmm. uh, Carl Henry mm -hmm. um, in his uh, work on the role of state might say, no, 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 that's not one of the valid functions of the state in scripture. It's, it's just for, um, for, for it, the state is given the power of the sword to, to punish the evildoer, to preserve law and order. So we see these kinds of tensions even playing out today, right? So just recently there was a New York time article mm -hmm. by Tim Keller mm -hmm. and basically what Keller is, I mean, you get some interesting political positions coming out of this stuff. Tim, you know, Keller basically said, I think the article was like, how do Christians fit into the two-party system? And Keller says they don't, right? Mm. Um, and, and really, Keller is, I think, I think, and, you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Tim, if you're out there listening, but I, I, think he's, <laughs> I think he's pulling from some Kuyperian heritage here. Uh, you know, when, when Keller says Christians don't fit into the two-party system, in one, in one sense, that's true, because... Christianity is not synonymous with a particular political party. And Keller makes that same point. So yeah, you, it's true. You, you, don't, you never want to say you need Jesus plus the Democrats. No. You need Jesus no. plus the Republicans. No, no, no. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. That's right. And you don't want to give the impression to someone who converts to Christianity that they oh, have to. You also have to be part of this party. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so that's, that's a danger there because any addition to the gospel is subtraction. Um, now, I would go a little bit further than Keller goes in his article. I mean, basically what he says, you know, are there questions about how to best serve the poor and the marginalized, how to do justice? He says those are just matters of practical wisdom and that the Bible doesn't directly speak to them, mm. those kinds of issues. Now, I don't agree with that. I agree. I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't yeah. agree with that. Either. I think the Bible does speak to particular principles that should inform policy. But whatever the differences I may have with that article or you may have with that article, I think Keller's trying to get the framework right. He's trying to say, look, if you take the Bible seriously— It'll have some harsh indictments for, for both sides of any aisle from which humans govern mm -hmm. and, and that 
At the end of the day, these differences can now be resolved exegetically, hermeneutically. Yeah. And that's the proper way. So like when Keller says, you know, I don't think the Bible speaks to some, you know, the particulars about how, you know, certain policies ought to play out, whether that's for, you know, taxation or, mm -hmm. or, or whatever. Or war. Or war. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, as Christians, I think we would be able to agree, like, we want to investigate that, right? What does the Bible say? Yeah. It's an exegetical question. It's a hermeneutical question. Does the Bible speak? Does the Bible speak to this? About that. Um, and, and like, I might say, yes, right? It, it does. And mm -hmm. you might say, yes, it does. So some others might say, well, I think it's a little vague. But at least at that point, the the, the context is proper. It's a biblical question, mm -hmm. which is which is the right angle on, it's the right lens to to approach, you know, any of the, the questions about spheres and how they ought to operate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, so to kind of help summarize it a little bit for the for our listeners, um, while there's a lot of spheres, you could you could break it down to an infinitesimal like amount. Like oh, yeah. you could keep breaking down the spheres if you want yeah. to. But the three main ones are family, church, and state. Mm -hmm. It seems like because those are the, the three biggest. Those are really big ones. The yeah. really big ones that everything seems to fall under that. Because we you mentioned before. Uh, uh, the importance of the family, like the First Timothy five passage mm -hmm. about if you don't take care of your immediate household, that you're worse than unbeliever. And then Deuteronomy six, where you're to raise up your children and teach them um, as you're walking, as you're going about, as you're lying down. Uh, next episode, we'll look at the role of the state specifically, and then we've, you know, we kind of seen the role of the church is to, as Ephesians uh, chapter four verse twelve says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So that's speaking of God giving uh, apostles, evangelists, shepherds, teachers for the purpose of what? Equipping the saints. So that what? Right. And building up the body so that the saints can do the work yes. of the ministry. Um, and so I think that is a, a, a fairly uh, good summary of those three spheres. But ultimately, um, all of it, is under Christ. And I think the one passage that really, at least in, in, in my mind, um, seals the deal as far as Jesus is overall, I mean, not only the Great Commission passage, mm -hmm. right, where all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples. That's Matthew 28, 16 through 20. But then there's also, again, in Ephesians, I love, I love the book of Ephesians, there's a lot there. At the end of chapter 1, you know, he says... Uh, when he raised him, that's Christ, from the dead, and, and this is verse 20, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There's a lot of all the word all is in there pretty, yeah. pretty often. But it's interesting, like every name that is named, all authority, power, dominion, in this age and the age to come, everything's under his feet. So Jesus is Lord of mathematics and business yep. and science exactly. and government and, yep. dare I say, warfare. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's true too. So he's the Lord of all. Mm -hmm. There's not one inch of this universe where he does not declare is his. That's right. And that's where this whole concept of sphere sovereignty plays in. Anything else you say to that? No, no, I think that's really good. I mean, yeah, I think just what we really see here, I think, is Kuiper's reformed heritage kind of, you know, 
uh, galvanizing around this notion of, you know, the Lord is sovereign and he is sovereign over all. And it's a beautiful truth because it really means that God's word informs and shapes and governs and molds for the purposes of human flourishing, all of these various institutions, you know, within mm -hmm. the body politic mm -hmm. and, and everything from art to math to there, there's no inch that Jesus doesn't cry mine. Right. Yeah. That's huge. Um, you know, I, I, this is not the episode where we go too deep on this one, but like the implications for education are huge. Yeah. Huge. That's true. Um, just, I mean, it, what does it mean to, to teach a child that two plus two equals four? And it always does. Apart from yeah. the glory of God that that truth points to. Yeah. Right? Like every, what we call fact, points to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And there is no fact which is, you know, what, uh, my, my Westminster is showing a little bit here, but there's no <laughs> thing as a, you know, a quote unquote brute fact, right? In the sense that it is, it is somehow divorced from God's sovereignty or divorced from God's uh, sway or, or to, that is somehow divorced from pointing to his glory. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway. Or like history, like, or history. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, every aspect. Um, it's, it. it's easy to see. Well, history is just a random, random events that has happened over many, many thousands of years. There's really no, no connection to it at all. We're just looking back at this stuff that happened, but really God is, his hand is over all of yeah. human history and it would be wrong uh, to divorce it, yeah. to divorce history from God altogether. It has a telos. And to it say, has a goal. yeah, and to say that we can study history yeah. apart from God and get it right. Yeah. Like we can actually be accurate in our understanding. I mean, maybe a few things you could be accurate, but, but uh, certainly not the whole picture there. So bringing this to a practical application, like, like how how do you see sphere sovereignty in this concept helping or guiding the average Christian? day to day. Yeah. Well, I, so that's a great question. I think when we are doing our our studies of the various spheres in scripture, I think that can be really rich, right? What does God in scripture uh, say of and give to the state? What does God in scripture say of and give to the church? What does mm -hmm. God in scripture say of and give to the family? And and multiply that out through, you know, many different spheres mm -hmm. and see where there's overlap, where there's no overlap, always remembering your covenantal context. You know, to say that you know, the, you know, we we Christians don't have a um, a state per se, right? We we are a multinational. You mean like the nation of Israel? The nation of Israel, yeah, exactly. Okay. So we want to remember our covenantal context. We don't have like an equivalent of nation of Israel. We're a multinational. The church is that, right? And we are a multinational mm -hmm. body. Um, and 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 so we want to keep in mind the the theological context in which we find the passages we bring to bear. Nevertheless, uh, that doesn't mean that we, we just take what, what God says, let's say, of Israel and just say it has no application at all whatsoever, mm -hmm. um, right? That's Or else the Old Testament's kind of like, or just, else, yeah. this is gee whiz. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's good to know. That doesn't really matter to me today. Right. You know? And we don't want to do that. that. That would be irresponsible. It would be. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think that's just something to keep in mind. So when we're doing our studies and when, when these kinds of things pop up, Make just make note of them in the in the mm -hmm. margin in your in your Bible, mm -hmm. right? And just say like, hey, I want. Or even if you have questions, this is a great opportunity. Write down some questions, you know, send them our way, 
Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a really hard one, like I said, I always say send it to Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll send it to Tim, Pastor and Tim. And he'll send it to Pastor Tim, Tim. exactly. Right. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, definitely keep note of these and, and just see what has God given to these different spheres in terms of um, competency, authority, and duty. Um, and, and I think that could be a really rich exercise. And I think it could also just really bring clarity to a lot of questions that we wrestle with. I mean, you know, everybody loves to riff on like church and state as a topic of conversation or like, you know, the, the family in 21st century America. What is, what is family and how yeah, is it being, it what does it mean? How is it being reshaped in the light of yeah. uh, various events in the last like decade? Um, you know, how, how definitions are changing. Um, you know, and, and what does the Bible say about these different yeah. spheres? Yeah. Um, I think that could be a really rich exercise. Yeah. And, and I don't, I mean, we don't, we're not going to go into right now politics or anything like that, but it's the general principle here is it's important. I think as Christians that we think, we think about sphere sovereignty in every aspect of our lives. And what I mean by that is this, you know, even at work, Think about what is your responsibility in the job that you have. That's good. And are you trying to take, are you trying to get involved in other people's business? Do you find yourself at work often trying to do other people's jobs? Are you letting them do their job as they're supposed to be doing? Are you doing your job well so that no one has to come down from above and do it for you? You know, um, or even at, at home, are the, are, uh, are there things that you that you should be doing at home that perhaps you have kind of punted to the church mm. or to the school? So like you said, okay, well, the school is going to teach my children about all of this stuff and the church will teach them about Jesus. So I don't have to do any of those things. Right. Well, that's not true. That's not what scripture seems to say. So you want to ask yourself that question. Whose responsibility is it? And am I... Am I deviating from hmm. that responsibility? Um, and it does, I honestly think, play into our understanding of politics. Yeah. You know, when I look at the government, what do I expect the government to do? Right. You know, what role does it play and does the Bible speak to that at all? Mm-hmm. Which I think we'll, we'll look at more next time. But, it, but overall, it's always good to assess what am I doing? Is it my responsibility? And am I, am I doing it well? Yeah, yeah, you know, totally. And that really falls under. Am I doing it for the glory of Christ? Yeah. That falls under sphere sovereignty. Yeah, that's that. See, that's huge to me because so it. I think it can be really easy and 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 tempting, you know, when we're out there and we're at work, mm-hmm. to to remember, like you said, we're we're to work as if you know unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. So you have God at the top, and God exercises his his sovereign rule and has has things to say about how we operate at work and what yeah. like so we are not to lie about coworkers to get an edge over them when it comes promotion time that's yeah. not right that's like god has laws against that kind of thing yeah. and how we operate within that sphere right so um, you know, similarly, if, if you're, if you're at work, you know, we're, we, we don't want to get in the mindset where I'm a Christian on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday is, you know, whatever, I'm right? Whatever. It's, it's not like that. So when we're at work, what, like, how do Christians operate in a work at, at the workplace? We want to make sure that we are serving our employers well, that we are serving society well. And one, one measure of that is, you know, are we, 
are we giving our employers a return on their investment in us? Mm-hmm. Right? That's an important question to or ask. Or are our employers asking us to lie, steal, or cheat? Are if to they, do- doctor yeah. some of the books? Yeah, and if and if they are, then that's something that as a Christian we need to give some thought to, uh, and and say like, look, you know, God I can't, is, do I can't this. do that because God has God has laws about how businesses operate and about the fairness of scales, and when we're trying to tip those, mm-hmm. I am disobeying not only my creator but your creator. And yeah. the one who rules sovereignly over this business. Yeah. So we need to operate with integrity. Yeah. Um, and, and so the same can be true, or the same thing is said of family. How are we operating as a family? It's not just, oh, we do church on Sundays and we go home and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, there's certain things that we're, we're to do. And when we go into the voting booth, right, how are we, how are we voting? I'm not, now I'm not going to say like, oh, there's a particular, I'm not partisan in that sense, right? Um, I do think, though, that we need to reflect, like, you're not going to go into the voting booth and and say, um, oh, well, this party loves the KKK, so it's totally okay for me to go and, and vote for them. No, like, you can say, like, if this if this is, like, built into the to the party the and the structure of the, of the party, party the yeah. fabric of the party in their statements, you know what I mean? It's it's one thing to say there's every every group has fringe elements and that needs to be dealt with from the center of each party, right? Um, but never to say no, this is bad, this is wicked, this is evil. But especially if it's in the fabric of the party as such, you don't say like, um, oh yeah, no big deal. So when we go into the voting booth, we have to take that into account. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so anyway, there's yeah. a couple of things we want scripture to inform how we do life very broadly yes. as broadly as you can define that yeah um and and it that, that to me is just that is just that that's standard christian living 101 right yeah i mean because yeah. i mean i don't think jesus has left us in the dark i don't think god has left right. us in the dark i mean the bible is is authoritative it's not stereo instructions that tells you how to change the oil in your car yeah but Everything that you do can be done for, to the glory of God, and the Bible speaks to how yeah. we can do that and live our lives. Yeah, totally. It's good. Excellent. Well, this has been Two Guys in a Bible, your weekly conversation on theology, well, culture, and God's Word. Well, we still have that proverb of the day. Don't oh, we? we do have the proverb of the day. How could I forget? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I got all up this morning. I'm ready. Yeah. And, and you, and, and, uh... Yeah, you almost uh, tried to get away from that I one. Did, I did, I right. did. Oh. It's all right. I appreciate Loving it. accountability, Loving brother. Ca- no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Very good. All right, here we go. I do have one. So Proverbs oh, okay. 28, Uh-oh. verse 5. Oh, boy. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek <laughs> the Lord understand it completely. Well, there you go. Oh, boy. Okay. All right, let's see how we take this one apart and apply it to ourselves today. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Well, you know, it this concept of justice, right? I mean, it implies a standard, a, a standard of behavior, a standard of morality, of ethics, of right and wrong, good and evil, right? So as Christians, we recognize that, that there are laws in this world, and there's a lawgiver, and that lawgiver is is God, and He has set the standard as to what is just and what is unjust, what is evil, what is good, and so, I mean, the the the, the proverb here is pointing out that uh, evil men, and you know, that's certainly speaking to the sinfulness and the wickedness of us as humans, um, when we're living in sin, when we are um, rebellious against 
against the king, right, we are not going to understand justice. I mean, there might be like a glimmer of it, perhaps. You know, there's always that sense of the of the divine uh, in us. There's that uh, what what uh, Paul says in Romans. You know, the law, the work of the law, is written on the hearts of the Gentiles, even though they haven't been given the law of God. So um, while while the world understands what has a sense of what justice is, I always I use the analogy that we all have a moral compass, but it doesn't always point north. Mm. So you know, there's that sense of direction. But those who are in rebellious to, of God against God who hate him and who hate his law, they will not understand true justice. Their version of justice will actually be wickedness. They're going to turn they're going to they're going to make what's evil good and what's good evil. They're going to flip it. And so evil men will not understand justice uh, in the in the in the greatest sense of the term. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Now that's not necessarily saying that oh I'm a Christian therefore I have perfect knowledge of all law and how to and how to administer properly uh, I mean I mean we do want wisdom and certainly King Solomon had great wisdom and was gifted with wisdom but as we know throughout all of scripture the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom so uh, those who seek the Lord those who believe upon the Lord and trust the Lord and look to him as the lawgiver they understand what justice is, and that's the foundation of justice uh, is found in God's word, in God's character. And um, I think that's what that's really getting at. Yeah, they have a basis for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they have a good. foundation. They so. have a foundation for it, right, right, so, right. So. Which, and, and for which, and of course, we, I think we would both say, uh, you know, having a foundation for this does not mean that we sometimes pervert notions of justice wrongly as Christians. Yeah. does not mean that those who are not Christians— um, have don't make mistakes don't make, or make or don't do something or right. don't do something right That's exactly right. like of course I get a lot of stuff right um, but th- I think the question is like is the foundation there right yes. on, on what is it on what is it based yeah. and and as Christians we are never to like pat ourselves on the back for any of that because there's nothing in us that commends us to God that's, that's good there's nothing in us that commends us to say oh yeah like you know good job figuring out this this moral framework or this basis for for justice or you know what I mean no it's it's none of that as Christians it's all it's all of the Lord. It's all of grace, um, and so yeah. we are we are um, we are to be you know humble recipients to say, look, you know, the, God, you have you you are uh, your standards are holy and perfect, and you set that stage for yeah. what justice even means yeah. in all of these spheres. So yeah, no, that's a really good word. That's yeah. good. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Eric. Um, so this has been. We'll, we'll try this one again this time. Yeah, yeah. This now, been, you can, you're now we can do yeah, it. Can do it. <laughs> <laughs> this has been two guys in a Bible. Um, I'm again. I'm Dylan. Uh, this is my co-host Eric, yeah, and great. it's been it's been great having you along for the show. Uh, it, we would love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out. Uh, two guys in a Bible dot podcast at gmail dot com. The, there, the number two is spelled out. T W O. Two guys in a Bible dot podcast at gmail dot com. You can also find us on Twitter. The number two mm-hmm. at two guys in a Bible. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the number two, two guys in a Bible. And you can also find us online, the number two, two guys in a Bible dot org. We're going to see if we can get the Gmail address with the number. <laughs> it's like you the know what? That's, that's true. Like, it's the only one that doesn't have a number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I can change that. Yeah. But anyway, we, we love hearing uh, hearing from you. And We've already got a couple questions we, so far. We do have a couple. We're we going to like a mailbag a episode. Bit. Yeah, like we a mailbag will. episode where we, we reach into there and, and pull out a couple of questions. Yeah. We've got some good ones. Yeah, hey, we do. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, we... Thank you again so much for listening. It's been a pleasure, and uh, God bless. Yeah, God bless. Take care.